right, everyone, we are back for a part two episode. If you haven't checked it out yet, go back to the previous episode where Albert and I were talking about resilient companies, resilient businesses, um, analyzing different local level opportunities. And today we're going to get into what he and I are doing when it comes to resilient investment opportunities. So I'm Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. Albert, glad to have you as always. Yeah. Stephanie, how's it going? Man, great. The more we do these, the more I'm like, this is great. This is fun. This is like the one thing each week. I'm like, I look forward to our random conversations (laughs) that literally span everything. And also, before we get into it, for anyone listening, go give us a rating and review. This podcast is not free to make. However, we don't have ads on it. We're just doing it for you. And so all we ask is for you to let us know how we're doing. Give us a rating, a review, wherever you listen to this podcast. Let Albert and I know. Yeah, let us know if we should keep doing it. Otherwise, I don't know. I might do something else. Who knows? That's that's not a threat. That's a a reality. (laughs) That's not a threat. That's, mm, yeah, true. Okay. So resilient investments in our life. Um, Albert, I want to start with you because you are always, as you mentioned in the last episode, you're always experimenting. I mean, you go to a freaking UPS store and you hang out for the day to learn about (laughs) its business model. That's who you are. So you get to explore a lot of different things every single day because of how your mind works. What are you doing right now, 2023? Like what things are you looking into or what are you maybe most bullish on in your own life? Yeah, so when did it, to give a little recap for Stephanie, because I think it, I, it's probably pretty fun now that I think about it. So when I was in grad school, I went to grad school not because I knew where I wanted to be, but because it felt like I was obligated to do it. My father died when I was 25 yeah, when I was 25, I just turned, excuse me, I was 24. I just turned 24 years old and he'd passed away and he had saved up some money for me to go to grad school. He mainly saved it up because he thought (laughs) I uh, did not like tap into my potential very much. I was not a great student Mm -hmm. being Asian and not being a great student. That's like a big sin. That's like a sin, right? Even though I went to a good university, I didn't do well. I mean, I had to petition the registrar to let me take a class called How Things Work, Pass, Fail, because I had like a D minus in it. So it's not a good student. So I went to grad school, not because I was supposed to go to grad school, but because he died. And I didn't really feel like the money was for something else. You know, it just felt like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I did it. And the whole time during grad school, I was like, I hate it here. I don't like being here. So even though I gave myself a props for going to Emory um, earlier, I want everyone to know also at every minute of every day while I was at Emory University, I wanted to drop out. I mean, really did. And you finished. I actually don't. I do think that you told me about this before, but I actually just never look at you and think grad school. So did you finish? I did finish. So at the time, my uh, then girlfriend, now wife, her dad was like, I told Jen that I, Jen's my wife. I told her I was going to quit or I was thinking about dropping out. And this is like within two weeks of being enrolled. I was like, I'm going to just drop out. If I drop out now, I can get my money back. Like we're, we're, I'm just done. This is ain't for me. And she, she said, my dad is going to think you're the biggest loser ever. We'll have to break up. <laughs> and, uh, Dang. and so, and so like, that's how big of a part. Uh, James part. Yeah. Now James Parsons is, this is a long time ago. James Parsons is uh, since passed away is, uh, and, but like at that time I was like, man, I'm not going to marry. I, I always said I was not going to marry somebody whose family, uh, like it was a source of fight or conflict. I was like, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to be that person that like tries to pull the, um, my wife from her family. So I said, all right, I will do this. I basically, I was like, I will do this. I will finish. My dad wanted me to do it. Your dad wants me to do it. I will do this. Even though I begrudgingly did it, I got it done. But during that entire time I started not, I started realizing like, man, I'm 
probably going to be a terrible work for somebody else. I need my own thing. And so I started hanging out at franchises. That's where it came from. Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly. Like I looked into Kumon. I looked into Nine Round. I was looking into all these different businesses. It started when, because I had, my dad gave me money to go to grad school and I finished in a year and a half instead of two years because I compressed mm -hmm. all my classes. I basically overloaded my courses. I took the maximum allotment every single time. I didn't, because I didn't care about my grades. I just wanted the credits so I could get them done. Mm -hmm. So I got done and I had leftover money. And I was like, okay, I can start a franchise right now for, um, I had like $35,000 left of what he had, uh, gave me after tuition and living. And I was like, okay, I can find a franchise. And so I started lurking in this. So that's how I learned that. I was advised to do that. Let's like hang out and sit at a franchise, just hang out for a day or whatever. Uh, especially if someone's looking to sell it, they'll probably let you do it. Um, and you can figure out really quickly, like who's coming in, how many people are coming in, what's it take? Um, yeah. And it can, yep. So it can sour what, you. Did you buy a franchise with that 35000 I didn't. I actually never bought oh. one. I thought about it. Uh, I thought about okay. multiple. And franchise sales reps are really good at their jobs, let's say. Like mm -hmm. every, so every, if you fill out a franchise uh, interest form, uh, just everyone out there, every franchise has a, uh, a sales team, a sales team that's going to call you a lot uh, to see that mm -hmm. you're interested in it. So, um, just fair warning. So if anyone just thinks they're just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to go check out a couple. It is. It's a pretty intense process. I ended up not buying one. Um, looking back on it, had I bought one, I was looking into Kumon. That's how I found out about Kumon. That's actually how I learned about it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because I, I mean, this might sound, I don't know. I'm not sure I would ever want to get into a franchise because I don't want to go off someone's someone else's playbook. I would rather be in the struggle, yeah. start my own thing, look at a Kumon and be like, I'm going to build something I'm going to do my own tutoring right? thing, like, right? Or if that's what you yeah, interested in. which I know. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but I'm like, I would rather be in the struggle, learning all the things of like how to start my own and then franchise it than going to someone else telling me, here's the playbook that works, stick with the playbook. So maybe it's a personality thing. Yeah, I met this one franchisee that changed my mind about franchising. Um, it's the Lewin family. They're here in North Carolina and they own like 300 Taco Bells or something like that. And kind of knowing oh. how much money they make per unit, it's like, dude, it's like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Some things need a playbook. Some things just like, don't get away from the bean burrito. That's 99 cents. I got it. Like, I understand that. Maybe that that's also not the spaces that I'm interested in playing. Yeah, in, yeah. But I mean, it, it's uh, it's definitely a way to it is it is definitely a path uh, uh, to success. There is a mm -hmm. Twitter handle, by the way, for anyone interested, called the Wolf of Franchises. Really good Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. Constantly does a lot of interviews with different franchisees and brings up some really interesting points uh, from what restaurant industry as well as oil um, oil changes, automotive. Like it doesn't matter what what it is. He's just somehow very dialed oh, yeah. into this. The Wolf of Franchises and a really great follow. Cool. I, I find it very it. interesting. But um, for me, yeah. I started. I recognized early on that um, having having something on the side is always going to be beneficial. Um, I, it, it always, b before I guess diversifying streams of income, running side hustles were like a really big thing. I was always doing that myself because um, when I was a teacher, I was still working on the side. When I was uh, mm -hmm. working for the Department of Health, my first job out of college, Can't grad school, you were a teacher. yeah, I was always doing something on the side. So I've, I've basically yeah. always had two jobs. I've never had just one. Um, for a long time. So what, 
So then what are you doing? Because franchises, we went on this whole tangent yeah. to find out you never bought a franchise. So uh, <laughs> what are you doing right now? Or what do you think um, Yeah, you're most bullish on when it comes to building up resilient income streams? Yeah. So right now, right now where I'm most, what I'm doing, and it's not a business, but it can be operated like one is Section 8 housing. So one of my best friends, Michael Caggiano, I, who I met when I was doing software, he was doing real estate on the side back when I back when we were doing software. And I was chasing, you know, a big windfall. I wanted a big windfall. My previous boss had had big windfalls. Like this was like what I was wanting to do. And he was making just a couple hundred bucks per unit that he had. And I had always heard the negatives of real estate, right? Where are the negatives of real estate? Mm-hmm. It's highly capital intensive. It's highly illiquid. Your returns are capped. It's like, it's really hard to like, like outpace the market. You know what I mean? If market rents are a thousand bucks for two bedrooms in your in your town, how are you going to get 2,000? It's almost impossible, mm-hmm. right? It's like virtually yeah. impossible, right? Not without something uh, substantially different. So there was a lot of things that made real estate very fixed and uninteresting. But one of the things that Mike kind of got in my ear over two years, about two years ago, because cloud stocks started cratering uh, post pandemic like there's a pandemic run up like a year ago a year and a half ago 18 months ago cloud stocks start showing some weakness and then early 2022 cloud stocks just started getting eviscerated it was like my portfolio was losing like fifty thousand dollars a month it was not great i know that's not real yeah. money but it's like dude yeah, yeah. i don't like seeing it i don't like seeing the red yeah. i constantly seeing red i don't like it and he's like, you should yeah. get in Section 8. And I was like, well, well, you know, you hear all the bad things about it. It's like bad people, bad um, um, bad conditions. There's no real money, basically. A lot of work, no A money. A lot of work, no money. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's not like that at all. And he kind of laid it out for me. And so I was like, all right, let me learn from you. And so I took a bet. And I said, hey, you know, I, I put some money in. I bought a property. I put uh, $50,000 down, which is 25% of a $200,000 property in Maine. Uh, the they, he basically laid out the numbers for me. Uh, Maine pays over $2,000 a month on Section 8. I always thought that the person paid. It's not the person. The state pays. So the mm-hmm. state pays me. So I started generating guarantee, uh, guaranteed income because it would cash flow more than mm-hmm. 10%. I was like, wait a second. This is like kind of having like a little ATM because my money is still not gone, right? My money's not gone. It's mm-hmm. in the equity of the house. And I start doing math and it starts feeling pretty good. But what it really felt was like, it's very repeatable. And I felt good. I felt good. Like I, I'm the person staying in my place right now is a, a mother and a, a single mother and daughter who's 15 years old, but they would have otherwise been homeless. Like they were already in a shelter and their voucher was getting close to expiring. So anyone listening, the section eight voucher holders, their voucher is only good for um, a limited window, like 120 days. If they don't find a landlord, it's, uh, basically nullified and you go to the back of the line, the waiting list in Maine is seven years. Mm. Wow. So did you do this on your own though, before we get even farther in it, like, did you do this investment deal on your own or were you relying on your friend to go? Like, did you go in on it with him where you're like, here's my money, show me the way. Or did he just kind of guide you from the sidelines? He guided me completely. So one of the things that I okay. did is I paid him basically the equivalent of a property management fee. So property management. So, cause I, I had already had a, um, another home that I, uh, ran out private market. So property manager fee is what you would pay someone to take care of the place. If there's something that breaks that they get the phone call, they go fix it up and they charge you a percentage of rent. So I said, I'll pay you that you teach me your way. Um, so I always, 
I've always done it that way. It's like, if I want to learn something, I'll put my, you know, I'll, I'm going to reward the person who's helping me because otherwise, why would anyone help me? Like, that, that would suck, <laughs> right? I would be known as like yeah. some leech always trying to yeah. get things. But how long are you paying him that property management? I thought about doing forever? perpetuity. Okay. And then you can just always tap into him, like kind of like an advisor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how mm-hmm. we started the, so that converted into a training course. Uh, yeah. Because he, he was like, I'm always wanted to make it a training course. And that's where I take your advice, which is like, well, let me help you do that because I can help you do that. That's something I know how to do. So we spun up a training course. And mm-hmm. the thing that keeps coming back to us, you, you've seen the same thing. I've seen the same thing. It's like the more you do things, the more opportunities and deals, whether deals, opportunities, people, it doesn't seem to matter. They keep showing up. You do a good job. They mm-hmm. keep showing up. And then before you knew it, yeah. I was brought in as an investor on a 10 unit. So now I mm-hmm. my I went from one to 10 in like less than 12 months. And I didn't spend that much extra money. And it was all through them people seeing, the in this case, the course. Like, oh, you guys do it this way. This is how you do it. Well, what if we front the money and you guys run it this way? I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like yeah. Because there's another gentleman in Texas. Um, his name is... I believe Chris Powers. He runs. He runs Fort. Um, it's a. It's a, It's him. an investment group, and he's known for yeah, doing industrial real estate. Uh, he warehouses and stuff like that, and he's built mm-hmm. scalable models, all the things you talk about, and he's done this many, many times. And people really enjoy investing with him. The problem was he has a minimum number, and a lot mm-hmm. of people don't have a hundred thousand dollars plus to put in with him. So where can they do it? And then sex, so section eight, the reality is, is you can buy a property that needs work. And because the person going in doesn't need it to be beautiful. Like this is, it sounds bad, but it doesn't need to be as beautiful as you would do in the private market. A lot of section eight renters just want a clean, safe place. And so if you can find a lap, you know, if it's a beat up property, you got to bring it up to HQS, which is home quality standards. It's going to cost you some money, but it ends up costing less than like buying, you know, a fancy place. And then they put mm-hmm. in uh, the tenant, this voucher holder, they're happy because they have a nice, safe, clean place. You feel good because you're housing. Usually it's a single mom straight up. It's it's almost always moms. I've yet to interview a male in this program. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really unfortunate. Um, and then the government pays you on time every time. So like what you said, like through learning how to do the thing and doing a good job mm-hmm. for other people, more opportunities have opened their way for me. So we now have the training course. We have the... 11 doors and growing and it's yeah and it's um it's one of those things where it was what allowed us when the when it was said we were saying hey listen we have to roll back wages is what i said all right roll me down to minimum wage mm-hmm. yep yeah so albert and i currently that's our rate <laughs> we're all right with it for a little bit anyways. yeah yeah the state one I'll thing say that- it, the state of north carolina minimum wage is thirty six thousand dollars so now you know um, how much I'm, uh, that's how much I get paid at mission. It's okay. <laughs> only temporarily for it's this. Fine. For this, it's about to change. But I've always done. I've always month, been. But... I've always me and Steph have always had this agreement. Like, hey, I will. I will work for whatever. It doesn't. The rate doesn't matter as long as you're okay with me exploring other things. <laughs> Not yeah, because I, I I'm going to leave, but because I just. My, I, that's just how I am. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've always been fine with that. I mean, that's always been my motto is like, as long as I feel like I'm getting a hundred percent when I'm paying you a hundred percent salary, I'm happy. So it's been, I feel like a good, but we're also, I think why it works with us is it's a very transparent, open conversation that we have where it's like, 
if I, there's ever a time where I'm like, yo, I feel like things are slipping. Like I just tell yeah. you, or if you're like, oh, Hey, yeah. I actually need time off because I've been working too hard. You're just like, I need to take that time. So I feel like we like that to me is how to set up every team member interaction relationship is just like, what do you want? What do I need? And neither side staying quiet if something is any bit feeling off. And so that's why I actually think this has worked for so many years between us because of that like open line of communication that we have. Oh yeah. Yeah. The boss lady. Well, she's, she's tough, but you know, she's also fair. She recognizes. <laughs> tough, but fair. Yeah. So the one thing that I don't know if you any of it explored this, so this might be like total side tangent. The one thing I think about is you're talking about this money going out 30, 50,000, whatever. Like if you would have talked to me years ago, I've been like, I don't even have $10,000 to spend into something. How do you think about it when someone talks about that? And have you ever heard of, this is where it's going off on a tangent, getting a life insurance policy and using that as collateral as a loan? Because I just heard about this strategy and someone explained to me, they do it for all, like I have quite a few friends in this area, we'll just call them high net worth. And they all tap into this strategy. They use this one company where they're borrowing against their life insurance policy at 3%, which I mean, for anyone who doesn't know, like we just tried to get a SBA loan and the interest rate was like 10%. And so they're using their life insurance um, to get it at 3%. And basically like, if you don't pay it back, they don't come and take your shit. Like with an SBA loan, like we had to put my house, yeah, like yeah, all the stuff, yeah. like they could just come and yeah, take anything I had. an SBA loan for anyone listening. Yeah, yeah. close off my back. <laughs> like, oh, that's Lulu, mine. But it sounded really interesting and I I had never explored this before, but I was like, maybe that could have been an interesting strategy back in the day when I like didn't have any money to put up. Whereas now maybe I can put up some for some real estate or something. But one, have you heard of that? Two, what would you do if not? So <laughs> one, I have heard of that and I, I, I'm very aware of that. Um, I don't think it's quite what they're describing though, because I think you have to put, a, I, I don't know how it works, but it's not quite as liquid as you would think. Um I'm going to try it. Yeah. I, I, I've, so I've never Why actually, <laughs> outside of uh, securing um, a mortgage, which is a 30-year mm-hmm. amortization, I've not really needed to borrow money. Um, mm-hmm. How? So aside from when my dad died and left me the graduate school money, I've never really had a high-paying job. Um, my first job coming out of grad school was only $30,000 a year because I worked at the Department of Health because I wanted to surf all the time. It was in the Outer Banks. Um, my next job was at a at, at Synaptis and I was only getting paid mm-hmm. uh, forty to $50,000 plus commission. And then when I went to um, Xbeon, I took a pay cut to go there because I was like, I want to get equity in a startup. So it wasn't until 2016 that I ever saw a six-figure salary. So prior to 2016, I never made a six-figure salary. For anyone who's out there like saying, how how do you have or how do you pull together enough cash to do that? I think that's where me being frugal is really – I mean, that's that's all it is. I'm not super smart. I don't have some type of capability that no one else has. But I I have a really strong ability to say no to things that that don't bring a lot to my life. Uh, so I've never really had a nice car. I've never really had a nice place. You know, I was willing. I see a lot of people nowadays, like some young employees, they're like, I have my own place. I'm like, dude, I didn't have my own place for the longest time. Um, when my when I had our first child, that was fine. We had a, another bedroom in the townhome. But prior to me moving in 2016, when it finally my salary eclipsed six figures, I lived in a 
uh, three bedroom townhome, but my wife didn't like the ba- kid, the idea of the kids in the uh, first floor, and we were on the third floor. So all three kids slept in the same bedroom, and I'm, <laughs> oh my gosh. so we went hard in the paint in the savings arena, and that's how we created cash. Just yeah, yeah. you know, like phones, dude. Smart. I didn't have a smartphone until like Jen did not have a smartphone until I want to say twenty fourteen or twenty. 2014. My gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, I'm not as aggressive as you guys when it comes to that, but I do think that is also the way that I was able to save up money. I mean, I think about even when I was like bartending, paying for college, doing all that stuff, like I still was able to save up money, but it is based off your decisions every single day. So when all my friends would be going out to the bar and eating out every day and doing all that stuff, I was one, I was the no person all the time. And I think it takes that, especially in the early days, if you're like, how do I save up? money to be able to invest in this real estate. It's like, I think it might take a little bit of time if you don't have easy pathways around you, which I think my other view is money is all around you. You just have to figure out like how to tap into it, whether it's like through someone else, through a partnership, through offering value, like there is other ways to get it. But if you're like, I just want to do it on my own. I think being frugal at any point in your life until you can just start funneling money. Like that's what I would always do is like every time any pay would come in, I would have an automatically set up to like, this goes to a savings yes. account. I barely even can see this one goes to my checking account that pays the bills. And so I never even felt that money. And so frugality for the win. Now I don't think as much like that. I still think frugally around certain areas, but um, now I'm just seeing different ways to tap into money. That's just like other people's money if I want to do something. Well, the other way is... So it depends on status. Yeah, like it, money is a tool, right? And so I see a lot of times on modern um, you know, like influencer reels and stuff like that where people like rip into Dave Ramsey. I'm like, yo, I think Dave Ramsey's quite smart when you're not making a lot of money. Okay, when you're not... Because when you're oh, not yeah. making a lot of money, you need to save up a nest egg. Because here's the thing that I don't understand. Like you'll see like these influencers talk like, all right, let's lay it down. In order to buy a second property, assuming you have a primary mortgage, you need 25% straight up. Mm -hmm. You need 25% of the property. Okay. So that if it's a $200,000 house, you're going to need $50,000. You also need what's called reserves. Reserves are enough cash to cover your existing mortgage payments uh, plus your new mortgage payment for at least Mm -hmm. four months, I believe. It depends on the bank, but let's just say four months. Then you also have to have sharp credit because the banks don't give federal, uh, you know, Fannie, Freddie back loans to schmoes that don't pay back. Okay. So that takes time. So these people are telling people to take on hyper-aggressive financial products, uh, hard money lending and stuff, because there's guaranteed cash flow. When it comes to section eight, there is guaranteed cash flow, but I would still say I would never recommend someone to get into an aggressive loan product that they don't understand how they're going to pay it back. Because that's mm-hmm. how people got killed, of course, in 2008. 2008. They got yeah. killed. I mean, we've already lived through yeah. that. It's like, you, you didn't understand your loan. So now you couldn't pay, make payments. Now every, you lose everything. So I was similar. Well, you and I were similar decades apart, but similar in that when we weren't making a lot, we were constantly uh, saving, preserving cash to make an investment in the future when we didn't really know what it was, but that's how we did it. And- mm-hmm. I would say this is true for anyone living right now. If you have job security, I would say this. If you have job security and you have no major outstanding debts and you happen to have enough to get a Section 8 property, I would strongly consider it because having offsetting income is an amazing thing. It is, I think, in my opinion, of the things I've done in my life, extremely safe. And it's extremely safe because who is your customer? Your customer is the federal government. And see, here's where people don't understand. 
there is such a spread of people who need housing and and um, people who have housing available. Most landlords want to rent private market. There's more money there. Like straight up, the federal mm-hmm. government does not going to offer that much money. It's the rates are set to forty percent of FMR, fair market rates, which means the rate that they set in your town could buy forty percent of the things available. That's it. Yeah. So you're you're making less than most. But if you find the right property and you, it's going to take some work and you have the right credit and you can get a loan for it, you can generate cash flow basically the next day. Mm-hmm. There's very few things in the world that are guaranteed like that. Now, if you're bolder and you can make a bigger bet, of course, you no one's stopping yeah. you from doing that. There's a lot of options. Like that. I think acquiring a car wash, acquiring a UPS store, all these things are definitely possible. Highly resilient businesses, shipping, delivering, waste. Waste is always going to be like, don't put your ego aside. If you if you have a porta potty cleaning business, you're going to be busy. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Like janitorial mm-hmm. services. They don't go out. They don't go out. Um, these are all things that you can do with your spare cash. But I like the way you think in that regards. Like, hey, money is just this tool. Like, you, you just, but you do have to be, in my opinion, frugal to to acquire some. Yep, yep, I love it. Well, you and I offline. Let's we'll talk more about the section eight housing and see what's happening here in Texas. Um, but until then, uh, this was awesome. If anyone is listening to this and you're like, I have so many questions shoot us an email, info at mission.org. Let us know what your questions are. I'm sure Albert can fill in some details around these investment ideas. Um, And other than that, we will see you all next time. Also, don't forget, rate, review this podcast. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you like conversations like this or if there's other topics that you want us to hit on. Albert and I know a little about a lot, I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) So we can go in many different places, but we won't know unless you tell us. So give us that rating review and uh, thanks for being here. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.